We all use Google in our daily lives. From searching a spelling to finding directions, Google has become an integral part of our life. In 2011, Stephen Levy, the tech editor at Wired, wrote the book called In the Plex. But the last decade really fueled Google's growth, its transformation into the company alphabet, and obviously the founders stepping away from the company and making way for Sundar Pichai. Stephen Levy has gone back and he's re-updated his book and has relaunched it again, and I thought it's a great time to catch up with him to understand what really has happened over the last two decades because he's been covering the company since its inception. Now, according to the book, Google really started using deep learning AI during 2010, which changed its products and it became a much brutal business competitor. In the middle of the decade, Larry Page also decided to call the company Alphabet, which houses various business units, which quite made it tougher for these bets, like for fiber optics business, to succeed on their own, and a lot of them have even failed. Let's speak to Mr. Stephen Levy and understand what is his reading of the company and what's really happening. I'll just start, you know, with the question that, you know, you've seen the journey of Google from the very early days. Uh, if you could tell our listeners, what was your first impression about them and how they have been changing over these decades? Yes. You know, in, in 1998, I was introduced to this search engine that was amazing. You know, uh, there was the early days of the web and uh, the previous search engines weren't very good. But Google found exactly what you wanted. It was almost like it read your mind. And I really wanted to um, see who was behind this. So I called up uh, the company. It was a, a tiny company then and arranged to meet them. And it turned out to be, it was around uh, Halloween where everyone dresses up in costume. Mm -hmm. So I went to their headquarters and uh, Larry uh, was dressed as a Viking. He had those, you know, like a big hairy hat with horns on it. And Sergey was dressed as a cow. He had this plastic suit with big udders on his chest. So I went to a room and um, to interview the Viking and the cow about how they solved the search problem. And uh, so Google obviously got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, uh, and at the time, the early days, it was a very freewheeling company. Um, it did things that no other company would do. And it was almost like Larry and Sergey wanted to, you know, almost tweak the way traditional people did business, that they were going to do things their way. Um, and they even tried, as I found in, in my research, to, you know, run the company, a big company themselves, when the people who gave them all their venture capital uh, had gotten a promise from them that, um, you know, they would pick a, an experienced CEO. Um, and, you know, at one point they even said, well, the only CEO we would accept is Steve Jobs, and that wasn't going to happen. And eventually they did pick Eric Schmidt. But um, it was, you know, a company that had big dreams and they were going to do it their way. Okay. Uh, you launched this book in 2011, if I'm not wrong, and now you've updated the book. What are really the changes in the company that you have seen over these decades? And what made you actually, you know, go back and relook at this book? Sure. Well, yeah, as you say, that was, you know, um, uh, my book came out just at the moment, and I just was able to get it in the book where Larry Page 
um, became the CEO, you know, again, he was in the very early days, he was CEO. And then they picked Eric. Um, and Eric left and Larry came in, um, you know, literally as I was closing the book. And uh, the book, it makes sense in terms of the, of the original book because you could see where Larry was headed. And if there's anyone else but Larry, um, I would have had a, been in a lot of trouble for that book. But, um, um, and Google in 2011, when, it, when that, that ended a period of Google where almost when, by the time Larry took over as CEO as a big company, it was entering a, like a new era. And, you know, which I, covered in the original really, whereas a big company, um, it was constrained. It was hard to be as freewheeling as Larry wanted to be. Um, so in those 10 years between 2011 and 2021, you know, Google had a lot of changes. And one, one of the changes was you know, uh, good for Google in the AI was becoming much more powerful as a way to improve products. Google always used AI, but uh, it was very early to adopt this new form of AI called deep learning, um, uh, which it actually started to do um, in, you know, like around like the 2009, 2010, um, but really came into flower during those years of the early 2010s. And it really changed Google's products um, and made them more powerful. Um, on the downside, uh, Google became a much more brutal business competitor um, and, you know, in ways that is being investigated now. And in the middle of the decade, uh, Larry decided to actually call the company Alphabet and Google was going to be part of it. And I always felt that that was, a, you know, not a great development because um, the way that they had originally was that it was Google and Google would be uh, take some of its enormous profits to spend, you know, uh, on moonshots as they called them, big experiments. Um, and it would accept that they would spend a lot of money for those, but the experiments would always be directed to say improving the web and improving the technology infrastructure from which Google would eventually benefit. But when they did Alphabet, they made everything a different business unit and made it much tougher for these like bets, like, um, you know, their attempt to wire like places in fiber optic that is harder for them to, to succeed on their own. And a lot of them failed. Um, and they brought in a woman from Wall Street named Ruth Peratt um, to, you know, uh, basically be an emissary to Wall Street. And Google became more conventional in the way it dealt with the finance sectors and investors, and I feel to its detriment. True, I will go to that part a little later, but I want to, uh, there's this portion that you've written in your book in the early part where you talked about uh, the 2007 trip outside of Bangalore when uh, the Google officials met people who did not know what Google is all about. Uh, but as I was telling the story to someone, I had met somebody in a very small town last year during the pandemic. Uh, and as you know, you know, people do not have access to, uh, I mean, students can't go for the tuitions, et cetera. Uh, I know somebody who actually does not know English well. So to teach her son, she uses Google Translate. She put, writes down the essays in Bengali and she translates them in English. And that's how the kid learns English. So there are some products that have really helped even in rural India. 
what according to you are the most remarkable remarkable products that the founders have been really proud of or you think what you know these are the key products that made google stand out well i think you you've lit on something which i think they 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 are really proud of in the uh Google, you know, from fairly early on, wanted to be a worldwide company to bring the power of the web to the world and the power of AI to the world. And, you know, and as you know, you know, they, they had the, the one which was, you know, they, they tried to help, you know, uh, move smartphones into, you know, all the countries of the world. Um, including countries where, you know, a lot of people previously couldn't afford a phone that could do translation like that. And the fact that they can do really good translation with the AI that I did earlier um, is something that I think they really wanted to do and continue to be proud of. I mean, this is part of the Google that where the founders have these dreams of serving the world, you know, and that was, you know, the part of Google um, which excited me originally. Um, and I think the thing you mentioned, you know, when, when we visited, you know, uh, that town outside of Bangalore, um, you know, the people really didn't understand Google because they, they didn't have the technology to, you know, accessible to them to, you know, to get it. Um, and, you know, there were, you know, difficulties in in, in using it and they didn't have computers and, you know, uh, but when you have a computer that you can talk to and understands your language and can even translate pages on the web that are in a different language, that's something really significant. And I think, you know, that that's a justification, not only for Google, but the whole arrow of, of, of technology. Um, and, you know, I, I know that Sundar, who I guess we're going to talk about, um, you know, is super proud of that. Sure. Uh, I want to talk about, you know, the portion in early 2008 and 9 when Gmail launched with ads being recommended with respect to the content of the email, privacy issues became a huge concern. Can you tell the listeners in detail about the backlash that happened? And now if we look at it, ads have eventually taken over our lives in every form. Uh, if you could tell the listeners about that phase. Right. Well, it, it is interesting. I think it was 2004 when they released uh, Gmail and that had ads in it, uh, you know, at, at the time. And a lot of people, you know, were really upset because they thought that Google was reading their mail. And, you know, and in fact, it was just their computers, not, no people who were, you know, scanning the mail to see if there were relevant uh, keywords that they could serve ads to. You know, Google's original main ad product called AdWords, I think it was a perfect product because it didn't violate people's privacy. It just looked at the search query that they gave. Um, it didn't really like uh, check out their personal information. It didn't access um, uh, other databases about them. It didn't take into consideration, you know, all the things they had searched about previously. It, it was just basically saying, okay, this is what you're asking for. This is what you want to know about. And here's some you know, besides what the organic search results come up, here's some ones that people uh, feel that they can serve you by giving you a product that might actually uh, be what you're looking for when you undergo this search. So it, it benefited the user. You know, every I've heard from every 
person in Silicon Valley, every company, big company like Mark Zuckerberg and, and, and others saying, um, well, you know, it's really great that we have this personal information about you because we serve you ads you want to see. And that often isn't true, certainly not true with Facebook, but it was true with Google originally. But as they went on, they sort of corrupted that process. Um, and, you know, if you look at a page of, of Google now, um, you know, they try to use other information about you. And also the page itself is just like littered with other kinds of ads. And a lot of the ads are sort of pages of, that are I, people who aggregate other things. So if you look for a hotel, for instance, um, uh, you know, a specific hotel, you might not get the link for the hotel into the bottom of the page um, because on well, the top will be like loaded with other kinds of stuff, which is, you know, restaurants or services around that hotel, booking services for all kinds of hotels. Um, and uh, so it doesn't work as well. And, you know, if, and when it takes advantage of people's privacy, people are worried about that. Uh, people are worried about the data that Google has because Google bought another company called DoubleClick, which, you know, uh, doesn't use that search model, but places ads on pages like, you know, and does things and ads on YouTube. And that is a model that uses who you are and targets ads to you because of your data. So um, I think buying DoubleClick was another big, um, uh, I don't want to call it evil, but uh, a, 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 say a departure from the purity of Google's original model. Okay, and you know, one thing that has come across or very, that comes across very often is privacy concerns and of course the antitrust lawsuits that are becoming commonplace for tech giants. And Google obviously isn't an exception because we saw in November, 2020, even India had filed an antitrust case on its payments app. Are we going to see more such suits across the globe? And how, does, how do you think Google plans to deal with them? And is it going to be a very common place for tech giants to face antitrust laws? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, uh, there seems to be an appetite um, uh, all over the world, really, um, to rein in these big tech companies that have, you know, what are clearly monopolies. When you have 90% of the search market, um, there's no way to twist it other than to say that you're a monopoly. And uh, things that might be acceptable in a company that uh, doesn't have such a dominant share, um, you know, like uh, promoting your own products um, on, you know, with the, with the the, along with the search engine, um, uh, that's an unacceptable when you are a monopoly and um, and people are, you know are reacting to that and they feel just in general the big tech has too much power. So I feel that you know antitrust is, is going to it's it stepped up now and we're going to see these cases progress and I think that Google's practices will be curtailed some of them. Uh, you talked about, you know, uh, the formation of Alphabet and how you think that it's, it hasn't really gone that well, but I wanted to discuss about, you know, when Alphabet came, in, came into play and how uh, the founders actually stepped back from the organization. Do you think it was really a good move? And also, as organizations grow, bureaucracy always seeps into the ecosystem. Have you seen that happening in Google too? 
Okay, we'll take the first one. I think, I mean, it's a little surprising to me that both Larry and Sergey have stepped back so completely. You don't really see that that often. You often, sometimes you see, um, you know, uh, new CEOs come in. Um, uh, you know, at Microsoft, uh, Bill Gates's uh, departure took place over decades, and you know, and he was, you know, uh, you know, well up in years um, by the time you know it was only last year that he finally like shifted to advisor. Larry and Sergey were both pretty young. Sergey had sort of um, stepped back from management in, in, uh, in, in a sense. It was really, had really been, before his departure, concentrating on uh, the X division, you know, the, the long-term research division, which is where his passions were. But um, Larry was the, the, the CEO. You know, he spent more time off, but he had been involved in a lot of the decisions and a lot of things still went through them. Um, and uh, I think he just doesn't like to deal with some parts of being an executive. He doesn't like to deal with customers, um, certainly ad clients, and he really doesn't like to talk to the press. I've, I was lucky to talk to him a bunch of times, um, you know, uh, before he stopped talking entirely. Uh, you know, after he became, became Alphabet of the CEO, I think he gave one interview on stage soon after that, and then never talked to anyone, which is ridiculous. You've got a trillion dollar company and the CEO is not talking to anyone. So, uh, you know, uh, but a, a total departure was was surprising. Um, and I think maybe that is tied in with your second point that Google has become more, more bureaucratic. Um, uh, I mentioned before that uh, Google pays more attention to Wall Street than it used to. And I feel that uh, that whole mentality of making its goals in each quarter has permeated there. And I feel that they're, um, uh, sort of, they, they fall into more of a conventional mode, which is ironic because Larry Page always used to say, we are not a conventional company. That's what he said when they first went public and in, in a letter to shareholders. I think they are much more conventional now. Um, and, uh, and they're doing things that, uh, and this is a big threat to them, that is alienating some of their idealistic employees. Um, you know, it used to be, that they would do these meetings once a week where anyone in the company could ask Larry and Sergey or Nimbun Sundar anything they wanted. And they could be, you know, as uh, tough as they wanted in, the, in their questions. Um, and in the past few years, uh, that became tougher for the executives to, to answer. And this is, and, and then sometimes the answers would leak out to the press which never used to happen, even when Google was a pretty big company. So, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, Sundar uh, announced that they wouldn't be doing that anymore, uh, maybe a little over a year ago, um, uh, that they would do smaller meetings, you know, and uh, about the domain. And if you had a question, it had to be about the topic of the meeting. You couldn't, you know, uh, ask about, um, you know, uh, sexual harassment in you know, at Google, for instance, uh, in a meeting like that. And I think that that took something away from that. You know, there was always a thing in, in Google that, you know, encouraged people to, you know, to be flaky, to be challenging. Um, 
and Google loses something when it doesn't have that. Uh, you know, it, it is a, a different company in terms of its employees. And, you know, I think you could link that directly to some of the issues it's been having in, uh, in sexual harassment and AI ethics um, and things like that. Google has been changing, but do you see more of that happening since Sundar Pichai came on board? And what is your view of him? I know uh, coming from India, everybody is a fan that, you know, Sundar Pichai has made it that big. But from there, as you sit as a journalist, what is your view on him and how he's running Google at this time? Well, personally, I mean, I, I really like Sundar. Um, and he was very helpful to me in the original book. Um, you know, I, I um, wanted to be, I had heard be, on that trip that I went globally, um, they trusted me, and this is something that would never happen now at Google. They trusted me to sit in on the meetings where you know, these young you know, APMs, future, you know, these product managers who were targeted as some of the future leaders of Google. I, I'd sit in the meetings where, you know, they would tell the people in the offices like Bangalore, what they were working on in Mountain View and and the people there would say what they were working on. And some of these were top secret projects and they were allowed, they trusted me to sit in there and keep my mouth shut until the products were launched. And one of them was the Chrome browser, which Sundar was the head of. Um, and I wanted to embed myself in that group um, while they developed the Chrome browser. And some people at Google said, you can't let a journalist do that. But Sundar, you know, said, no, 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 I, I bring him in. I, I trust him, you know, we'll let him do that. And I wrote a big story about it actually for, for Wired um, just as it came out. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think he's, you know, a, a terrific person. But let me tell you, Pooja, a person, even with someone as smart and as accomplished and as decent as Sundar does not have the authority that a founder has in a company like Google. And uh, I feel that it, it's you know, sad, but not surprising that some of these crises have emerged as Google got bigger and, you know, uh, Sundar had to serve many masters, say. He had to serve Wall Street. Um, he had to, you know, deliver results. He had to, you know, uh, compete with uh, Facebook for advertising. Um, um, he had to compete with Apple for mobile. Um, and, you know, uh, to balance all that and to keep Google's culture as it was, um, you know, it was an overwhelming task. And I think the, the culture of Google isn't what it was. True. And lastly, my last question would be, you know, there's one portion that I read in your book, which I actually wanted to ask because there were these so many news reports around the fact when they did that drone project and obviously they backed out of it and Microsoft did the project. Do you think in these times, if you let go of one project on some, uh, on some grounds of your policies, or if, you know, your company is not, if you're if the people in your company are not too comfortable with that concept, but somebody else is going to snatch away a bigger project. Is that the, the, you know, the race to bottom line is going to change things for tech giants? Well, actually, I think the drone project is still alive. I think they spun that out of X and, and Wing. And I think it's that uh, you might want to double check that. Mm -hmm. But um, 
but your larger point is, is correct. Um, you know, I, I follow very closely the Loon Project, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I actually went to New Zealand to watch them launch the first, you know, balloons that delivered internet to customers, you know, kind of test basis. Um, and, uh, and actually, I thought, well, there's that that's very googly. It's a, it's a crazy idea. And they actually took it pretty far um, before they pulled the plug just a few months ago on it. Um, and the, um, you know, Astro Teller, who's the head of the X division, told me that, you know, this is what X is built to do, is to try big ideas and just keep, you know, testing them um, to see, you know, uh, the, if there are no more reasons to kill them, you know, and then they'll survive and, and, and become something. So obviously, um, even though Google isn't making a, a, a lot of money on self-driving cars, it is, you know, it's probably going to be a business, you know, it, it, it's changed the way we see transportation. Um, so uh, I think that um, I'm more concerned about efforts like the fiber effort, which I thought had a lot of promise um, when, you know, uh, as, as something to spread high-speed internet, you know, much more quickly throughout uh, at least for, at first the United States, and then they would be able to build a new generation of products that assumed high speeds for your your connectivity. But that 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 didn't happen, and you know, um, and we're still years away from, if ever, from you know super high speeds. You know, maybe six G will give it to us or something. But um, I feel that um, that's still part of you know, Google's DNA, which is alive. Um, uh, but as you say, um, there's always the financial component saying, you know, uh, we have to examine these projects and, you know, get rid of the ones that don't seem to have a chance of bringing in uh, profits at some point in the future. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. And also to our listeners, thank you so much for being a part of our journey. You can always find us on any platform that you prefer. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, everywhere.